0: Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is Hashtag No Limits, and I am your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people whose society has placed limits upon, but who have busted through those limits. Ophelia says in Hamlet, we know who we are, but not who we will be. And I believe there is no better example of that than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. Anytime you see me, you'll almost always see my butterfly caption somewhere in the picture. And that's because the caterpillar literally has to dissolve into nothing, just cells, and then reform itself into the butterfly and then has to struggle to get out of the cocoon in order to be strong enough to fly. And that so much to me exemplifies the fact that we just don't know from one moment to the next who we're going to be in a positive way or even in a negative way. But I try not to focus on the negative way. I always try to focus on the positives that, that we can have exponential growth. And when we have people who support us in getting that growth even better, and sometimes the struggles that we have to go through seem like way worse than anything even than the caterpillar goes through. And I know that seems a little strange, but Kim's story today, she's gonna talk about that really scary thing that a lot of parents are very frightened of. And it's two words called due process. And she's been through it. And so she's gonna share some of her experiences for that with us, as well as um, why she got to that point and what she's doing now in her life. So Kim, it's so nice to actually officially meet you. We've chatted back and forth. We're both master IEP coaches. Um, But thank you for coming on today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I truly appreciate this opportunity.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you. We've been, um, as I said, we're both Master IEP coaches and we're we're both in the network. And so we've been on a couple of calls together um, with our mentor, Catherine Witcher, and some of our other leaders in our group. But um, you and I haven't really met and had opportunity to share. So I'm really looking forward to having you share about your story. So go ahead and tell everybody. Oh, and I always forget this part. Um, If you're watching, let us know. Hashtag live. If you're watching it in the replay, let us know. Hashtag replay. And remember, the more comments that you make, the higher up in the algorithm this will go. And the more opportunities people will have to see it. And therefore, the more opportunities we will have to change people's perspectives. Okay. I'm sorry, Kim. So tell us about yourself.
1: (laughs) So I started on this process pretty early on in my child's life. I have two sons, my oldest. um, He is 13 now and has an IEP due to his um, qualifying condition of ADHD and needs help with organizational skills and, you know, all the typical lacking of skills that come with ADD and ADHD. Um, Mm But truly, my IEP process and education came along with my youngest son, who is now 11, who has severe nonverbal autism. And so we knew um, right away before he was three months old that he was delayed. So we kind of um, were thrown into it. Yeah. So, um, we started with early intervention, preschool, kindergarten, and it wasn't until he was in second grade that we really had to, you know, fight for more services at the school. And I hate to use the word fight cause I hate the us against them concept. Right. But, um, that's when it, it truly began, but I, I like your, um, metaphor of the butterfly because I do feel like as parents, we kind of, you know, our kids are constantly evolving and growing and progressing, but I think we forget to give the parents ourselves credit also. It's very true. Um, I was the kid in school that was the quiet girl that hated to stand out. I wanted to blend in. So having a child with a lot of behaviors in public spaces really made me kind of transform into, um, I like to call a polite mama bear. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want people to think I'm aggressive. I or you know, but I I do now have zero problems standing up for my child because he can't tell me what's really going on. He can't stick up for himself. Nobody else is. So that's my job. And I think that, you know, we need to give ourselves credit because I looking back over the over the past decade, I've really progressed quite a bit. I would have never thought that I would have spoken about autism at the state capitol. I would have never thought that I've gone through multiple mediations and a due process, but going through all of those really difficult things, I have been able to see my son progress and excel in the the right situation. That is so awesome. And what a beautiful thing, because honestly, I hadn't thought
0: about it from the parent's perspective and how much a parent would change through all of these meetings and processes. And um, so, thank you for bringing that up because, yeah, I, that that has to be the way it is for everybody too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really interesting. And yeah, to be the person who who was quiet and to be at the point where you are today of being not just your children's voices, but voices for lots of people. Oh, with. absolutely. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about this speaking at the state capitol.
1: Oh, so Utah, you know, we have one of the highest numbers of children with autism. I think it's like one in 50 something. It's pretty high wow. up there. And, you know, we, we have a DSPD wait list that is on average seven years, but they are now finding out that it's closer to nine years. Okay, tell me what those letters stand for. So, um, DSPD is basically, I can't remember exactly what the act, like all the words are, but uh-huh. it's um, for people with disability that okay. kind of get Medicaid for life. They are able to get the okay. services they need for their qualifying condi- conditions. I know Arizona, if you move there, you're immediately placed on the list. So, okay. a lot of states um, have these programs. They may be called something different, but it's um, state funded, they get Medicaid, they're able to receive, you know, ABA or um, home care and hospice or whatever needs that they have. So okay. um, we we don't have a lot of services in Utah for autism. We're we are getting there. I like to say we're about 10 years behind everywhere else, <laughs> because, despite the, the the immense need for it. Right. And so we're, you know, there's a lot of parents that are constantly you know, kind of trying to raise awareness. I hate to say fight, but, you know, stand up for what, what our kids need. Sure. And yeah. so um, each, each year around um, in April, we have um, awareness brought for autism through the state. And there's this past year or two has been different with COVID, sure. but there's usually some meetings up at the state Capitol to bring awareness and, you know, show the new statistics, what has changed, what hasn't, and what the needs are of of the state for not just children, but adults as well.
0: Okay. And so did you, ha- I mean, was it just like whoever wanted to speak was able to speak or did you have to, were you
1: asked to speak? So to- I was asked to speak. Um, there is a autism council of Utah, which is a nonprofit for Utah. And they asked um, for me to speak for the age group that my son was in. Okay. So the people that started that group, their children are now 19, between 18 and 21, and they're finding that the lack of those services is almost bare to none. And so um, they actually just opened up their first adult day center, which is amazing. And so, um, you know, through parents talking about the needs of what ages and just kind of collaborating each year of where we're at, where we've been and where we want to be has been really helpful for people and legislatures to see. Yeah, that's
0: amazing. And what a, what a great revelation to show that there are services that are lacking. And unfortunately, I really do think that's all across the country. Maybe some places are a little better at it than other places, but I still think there's a lack of, okay, well now they're out of school what is society providing? What is, what is yes. society? What kind of resources are there? What kind of programs are there? What kind of opportunities are there? Mm-hmm. And yeah, cause that seems like something that with a lot of different people that I've spoken to either through this show or just other people that I know that that seems to be a common thread. So something else that needs to change in that our society. Is.
1: And I think those services have become available due to the parents the parents and reaching out and you know expressing the need for that and I think where I'm kind of in the middle where my son's almost a teen I've seen both sides because my son at age three was put into ABA where kids that were five that are just a couple years older than my son um, didn't have ABA and the difference in my opinion or you know early intervention therapy is is drastic right for me my my kind of goal with all of this is we need to switch gears a little bit and invest in the children while they're younger so that we're not having to kind of backtrack or right you know it costs really it costs the states more money later down the road if they were not to just invest in them as they're younger yeah you know cuz of course with IDEA you know we're working on you know preparing them for um, further education, employment, and independent living. And if you put forth those resources earlier enough, hopefully they're able to have a job, being a tax-paying member of consi- um, society. And
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's yes, that's such a good such a good point. And I mean, statistics show that all across the board. You know, if we can reach our kids with behavioral issues earlier, and we can, you know, um, break cycles of of um, parenting problems early, if we can, Mm -hmm. I mean, just anything that we do, if we can get the earlier we can get to it, the less money, resources, time will have to be spent. It's almost like, and I I know this is a really very tiny thread of connection, but it's like a habit, you know, if you can break a habit earlier rather than later, it's going to be easier to break it than when you're, you know, really set into it. So I know that's, not really close, but just kind of pop. No, yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, and I like to look out of it as it's kind of insurances and schools should look at it as kind of a preventative measure. Uh-huh. Let's invest yeah. now and hope that we don't need to continue the, you know, these same resources the next year. If we put in enough work now, our hope is to phase it out, not that they're going to be dependent on it for the rest of their lives. Right.
0: Right. So, sorry. So that was kind of a little hole that we (laughs) went down. So let's go back to talking about your, your kiddos. So um, it was with your younger one that you started to realize there's, you know, this need. So tell us more about that.
1: So my son is, um, I like to say he's a behavioral kiddo. Um, He is nonverbal. He is the sweetest child. And, but he's also very intelligent. So for, I think... So the three years of early intervention preschool plus his kindergarten, first grade, and then in the middle of second grade, I noticed they were still working on the same goals that they were working on in early intervention. You know, they shifted slightly, but I'm like, why are we still working on colors and numbers? Right. Why are we still working on letters and identifications and, you know, I'm like, he's been sitting in these classes for years. He's absorbing it. Right. Just not able to kind of reach in and grab what he understands. Right. And so um, during the summer, my son was going to a ABA clinic day treatment facility to kind of mimic the schedule of school. So he'd go nine to three and they'd work on behavior as well as some academics. And I had noticed um, that he was very knowledgeable on many more things than what the school was giving him credit for. I think he was just kind of being stuffed in his bedroom and he was happy and that's where they kept him. And, you know, he made just enough progress to kind of skate by, but he really wasn't making progress. When I looked back at the past years, I'm like, really, he's not making progress. If you look at it in a nutshell. Um, So I requested that my son had his RBT, his ABA therapist back then before they were RBTs um, to come and observe him in class. And so when that happened and the RBT was like, yeah, he's just sitting there. He's just doing his colors. He knows them. So he's not answering them. So he's not passing them off now. So they think he doesn't know them, but he knows them. So having that collaboration was super helpful. And I thought, you know, how can we make this a more consistent um, kind of like a procedure? How can we get this to be the system so that we can build some momentum? Right. So I um, had mediation with the school district because there were things happening in the classroom that were also, you know, typically staffing issues. So I brought up a lot of safety concerns that I had witnessed myself, which I think helped kind of give that Fuel to the fire uh-huh. and filed a, st- a state complaint because I thought this is not okay for my kid. There are a lot of parents out there that are, that are uninvolved. So I'm not only my child's voice, but all of these other children as well. So I'm like, right. if I file a state complaint and it goes nowhere, at least I did what I what I could.
0: Right, exactly. Can you talk a little bit more? You said you had the mediation. So, like, how how does that work? You know, if somebody's in a situation right now, and and you know they've they've hired their master IEP coach to help them out, and the school just isn't wanting to cooperate, I guess, or collaborate. What what does mediation look like?
1: So, typically, at least in Utah, I know it's pretty much the same across the board. But sometimes things are just slightly different, um, you could file a state complaint, a mediation, and a due process all at once. I kind of wanted to take the conservative approach. Mm-hmm. So when I really was researching it, I realized, okay, so a state complaint is just letting the state know and be aware of what was happening within their that district. Um, so with that, I'm like, I for sure want to do that there there's safety concerns with staffing if you have elopers kids with seizures medical you know complex children and they're understaffed right i'm like so if my child bolts and another kid's right. having a seizure who's gonna who's gonna get you know exactly somebody, somebody's going to sadly get um neglected and right. that was kind exactly. of my concern and so with that,
0: um, I, hey, one a second, because I just yeah. want to explain what an eloper is. And you kind of did yeah. there just a second when you said bolting. But for anybody who's watching who hasn't heard that term, um, it is. It's just somebody who leaves the space that they're in. They don't necessarily have to leave the building or the premises, but it's just the space that they're in. Maybe they're in a classroom and they run out to the hall. And, you know, so you have to have eyes on them. So um,
1: it's and typically those, you know, the elopers, they don't understand danger, whether they don't understand danger as a concept in whole, or if their anxiety or whatever is causing them to elope in that moment, typically they're unaware of those, you know, the environment around them. They just bolt, they run, they escape. Right. Right. Exactly. And oftentimes it's
0: very infrequent and oftentimes see are very infrequent to go with your example. Mm -hmm. Um, but on those rare occasions when they do happen at the same time, you do need to have that enough staff to take care of it. And it's, it's difficult, I feel, for a school district to really understand that and want to put the money into it. Because maybe 90% of the time that person isn't technically needed for the reason that, you know, we've put that person there but yes it's better to, uh, in my personal opinion and i'm not you know an administrator so <laughs> i learned many years ago that i do not see education through the eyes of administration um but to me it would be like you said it's a safety feature a safety mm-hmm. factor um but yeah it's it's often time well we don't need this person 90 percent of the time well but what about that
1: one time that you do and that's kind of my, you know, with all IEPs and behavior intervention plans, I, I like to stress the, this is not likely to happen, mm-hmm. but it's not unlike, like it's, it's not really impossible. Yes. And so I like to have a plan in place because you need a plan in place. I right. mean, that's what insurance is for. That is what fire drills are for. How often do, sco- right. do schools actually catch on fire? But how often do you have fire drills? Right. And it applies to special education. And I kind of, um, I like to phrase things in a way that makes school districts understand that they know numbers, they know money, they don't right. care about feelings. I mean, I like to think they do. But, you know, they they have their budget, and that's how right. they do things. And I just phrased the question. You know, the sped classroom is right outside of the busing zone. Oh yeah. And elopes. I'm like, I witnessed a child have a seizure. My son elope. If I weren't there and he was hit by a bus, they said I don't want to be this person. But who would I be suing? Would I be suing you or the city? Right. And that was kind of like, oh, we'd never thought of that before. Right. So it was kind of, I don't want to say it was threatening, but it was just facts. You know, it like, is, absolutely. Of when this happens, if it continues the way it does, my son is smart. He knows when people are not paying attention. And that is when he runs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As soon as everyone else is kind of busy in their own world, my son's like, Great, I can go to recess. No one's watching me. Right.
0: And it's not malicious. Like, I'm, I'm no. so glad you said that, you know, that, oh, I can go to recess now or oh, it must be recess time because, you know, everybody's busy. Or
1: it was something scary is happening. I got to get out of here. Right. Yeah. So it isn't that your child is like
0: being malicious and, and leaving the room. It's like you said, it's either, oh, it's, I, want, I can go play now because everybody's busy or, yeah. you know, like you said, yeah. it's something scary, especially I would think when a child is having a seizure, that would be scary for any of the other students around you know Um,
1: absolutely and that's that's the disability you know it's not it's not just children in general i mean most kids though i think would be scared right and And that's
0: yeah that's such a good point with the fire drills because we would have to um we had a plan in place we had a safety plan you know, if this happens and you have an eloper or you have someone who just freezes because of the fire alarm, you know, and they don't want to move and they and they're just literally frozen. Well, you know, if I'm in charge of five students, but one of my students literally will not cannot move and like, I don't know, maybe we have to pick that person up, you know, and and carry them in our arms. Well, I'm not, necess- I've got to have somebody to help me, you know, so yeah. having to have those thoughts and discussions ahead of time in order to put those things in place is very crucial and very important. And I think the safety part, honestly, is probably the least talked about at IEP meetings. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like that's the one kind of keyword districts kind of perk up at is safety because they don't want lawsuits. Right. They don't want to be held accountable. And, you know, with, with the state complaint, we we did have a, meet, a meeting. It wasn't our mediation, but that was the meeting of, okay, so when this happens, because if we keep going the way it is, what will be the plan in place? Right. And I was in a roundabout way told, well, then your son, because we're having this conversation, your son will take precedence. And I thought, that's, you, you know, it's semantics. Right you know the district they didn't want to put anything in writing they didn't want to really be held accountable right so that's when i thought you know that's not protecting my son and it's not it really not protecting the other children and that's neglect and so that's when i decided we're going to do a mediation because i feel like what they're saying even though a mediator is a neutral party the district needs to be held accountable for what they are claiming to provide and if that's right. ethical.
0: Well, yeah, to say, since we're having this conversation, your child will take precedence. So what if the other parent stood up and said, well, you know, what are you going to do about my child? And then they tell that
1: parent the same thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I previously lived in a small town where this was happening and I knew a lot of the staff members at the school and I had rumors that You know, the special ed director would leave and would say, I know we told that to the parent, but we're not doing that because it's not written down. If it's not written down, it didn't happen, which is, you know, one of the number one rules with special education and IEPs. If it wasn't written down, it never happened.
0: Yeah, that is so true. If it's not in the IEP, it is not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah so okay so you filed the state complaint and you went through mediation can you give a little example of what kind of happened in your situation and it may not be the exact same situation everywhere that this would happen this way
1: so for me i am i have learned with my son documentation is key um It's easy to have when you have kids with special needs because typically you have progress reports, you have medical documentation from doctor's visits, you have, um, I like to think, just binders full of information. Right. So when I filed my state complaint and mediation, I included everything. Uh And when I really looked, when I finally printed out the forms and was filling them out, You really don't need all of that. (laughs) It made me feel better sending the manila envelope full of documentation. Right, I'm serious, but really, um, anybody can file a state complaint. You don't have to have a a student. You can be a concerned community member, which I did not know. Okay, I didn't really only need to write down a couple sentences of why you're filing this or what your concern is. You don't need dates, you don't need, it just kind of um, pushes the button of a investigation from the state school board of, we're gonna look into whatever this is. So looking back, I think sometimes less information is more, Uh huh. depending on what the outcome you want it, you know, what you're looking for. Sure. And so I like to tell parents, I'm like, you don't need to know everything. Just file it, print it out, file it. You can always withdraw. You Mm -hmm. don't have to go to mediation. You don't have to go to due process. But at least by doing that, you know you covered your bases and your concerns have been addressed by somebody other than the people that you have not had things resolved with. Right. So I like to tell parents, it sounds scary, but it's not. You really just, you can fill it out online. I like to print it so that I have documentation of everything. Um, And you send it to the principal of your child's school, the state, and then the special ed director or the superintendent of the school. So they get multiple copies to everybody so that everyone is aware, which is kind of scary as a parent. Sure. That It's me. I'm complaining about all of you. But if you don't say something, who will? Yeah. So once we, you know, had the conversation of your child will take precedent, I thought, yeah, this isn't really, really fixing the problem here. Right. So I, so we continued with, um, with the state complaint, they ask you, do you want to go to mediation? That it's interesting how it's all kind of tied together. There's just different levels, basically. Mm -hmm. I, um with this so with that before i get on too to ahead of myself <laughs> we with my previous son's district we had mediation and it was very successful my son was able to because of the services that my son had not been getting or enough services that my son was getting he was offered compensatory services which for him was summer school um Four days a week, nine to three, like a normal school day. Wow, which was amazing. But he also had an RBT providing those services because his behavior gets in the way of everything. Right, he's a behavior kid. And when he went to um, the next school year, he the first day he walked into his class. With that RBT, the teacher had him do a spelling test. He spelled a hundred percent on his spelling test. They were having him; they wow. said he could not. He didn't know his letters and numbers and colors. And I thought, I did. He kind of excelled and surpassed my expectations of what I thought he knew. Yeah. There was one. He kind of my son's a little sarcastic and has a sense of you <laughs> wouldn't know. You just think that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he he got one answer wrong but the teacher's like, I'm giving him a hundred percent where you know, <laughs> he spelled Robin with a Y like the name Robin, like oh, you sure. what you're asking for, but I'm going right. to make it just a little different to kind of make you turn your head yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> that's awesome. So, to see that, you know, sarcasm and, you know, re- spelling on grade average, right. Would have never thought. And that's kind of where the when you had said, you know, hashtag no limit. I'm like, that's Kai. That's my son. Like he, we had no idea what he knew. I sure didn't think he could spell on grade level, but he, he could. And through that year we realized he can read, but his behaviors are extremely hard to, you know, they get in the way because he had years and years of, if I sit here and pretend like, I don't know, no one makes me work. So now we're kind of, backtracking with all of that and after three years of working with an RBT we were down to little to no behaviors during the day and he was spending 60% of his day in a general ed classroom you know his, awesome. um, his work was modified and there were some things that you know and I'm a very realistic parent I know they can't pull him out because of behaviors technically or but I I like to have in place of if you act this way, you prefer the classroom there, your general appears, you can't be in there. There's an expectation that's expected. Mm -hmm. And so with him, um, he was pulled out on occasion when there were behaviors, but he's, you know, he's smart. The other kids aren't acting like that. So you you don't get to act like that either. So um, fast forward to now, this past year we moved to a bigger city where there were more services thinking schools would be better that they were kind of ahead of the times. Um, We knew that down the road, there would be more services for my son as he became a teen and an adult. So I'm like, I'm a, I'm a preparer. I like to, to get on the bandwagon before before there's an issue or before we, you know, like to have some sort of direction. So we, we moved. And when we enrolled my son in a school district up here, that IEP was kind of thrown out the window. And I thought, oh, I was, you know, I was really upset because I'm like, I thought really hard. I used to never say a word or complain about <laughs> anything. And now that just went down the drain. Right. Which, legally, I know they have to give something comparable or comparable. And they were putting him in a one size fits all school with kids with low IQs because behaviorally, that's where he's at or can mm. be at. Yeah. And so I, you know, and they had some other really strange rules where I could never observe my child. I couldn't walk him to his classroom. I couldn't. Um, and I think it was because I I know the rules and laws Uh huh. because a lot of other parents were saying, oh, I volunteer all the time. And I'm like, that's interesting that I'm not allowed. Yeah. Did you think that my son coming to a new school with a, a file that's, you know. <laughs> yeah huge they were probably like yeah we don't want her in there and it's not because you know I I like to think with the teachers in the school we're all a team I I couldn't do it without them but I do know that hand the hands of teachers and special ed directors and well not the directors the special ed teachers and the pairs their hands are tied they can only do with what they're given true and so I'm kind of doing what not only fighting for my son but the the special ed teachers as well. They need the extra support. They need more funding. They need more of everything really. Right. And so I, but I think coming into a new environment, they all were a little hesitant about me. And I just kept saying, look, I want what's best for you and my son. How, how can we meet in the middle here? And I had never worked with a district that just did not care. They yes. just wanted to, you know, and I think sadly that that is what most districts are like. They don't care what the parents have to say at a, di- you know, at a district level, because moving in, I had to go through a district level. If I went in through a school level, I think it would be slightly different. Sure. I would hope so, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hope so as well. But um, so with that, where my son was put into, you know, he he didn't have an R- RBT or an aid one-on-one. He was not spending even half of his day around special ed. Um, I mean, general ed kids. It was drastically different. And I thought, yeah. how do they think that that's okay? Right. Just because he's going to a this really fantastic, which it is a fantastic school. They have swimming, they have art and music time, which is fabulous.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And, If you have a lower IQ child, but for a kid that can read and spell and socialize with kids, his age, that's not a good fit. Right. So that's when, you know, I thought, well, I've been through this before I'm scrapping the state complaint because I don't need, I know that they'll investigate with a mediation. Right. So because I'm not like, I'm not going to go in with my guns blazing, I'm not going to go in really upset. um, I was like, well, let's try and mediate. And this, the previous time I didn't have an attorney with my district before, but I thought this district is a lot bigger. They have a lot more money and they seem to really be hesitant on any suggestions whatsoever. And so I, I hired an attorney and we have, it's now been going on for over a year now of mediations. You know, we agreed on a mediation. You know, both sides don't agree that it was well, I don't agree that it was upheld the way it should have been. Okay. It comes down to like the districts like to say semantics. Right. And so um with that I thought, you know, my son's not progressing. A lot hasn't changed. So we're gonna we're just gonna do due process. It was a little intimidating, but I thought any anybody outside of the situation, if they look at the documentation of the progress of how my son was before, and where he's at now, it's going to be a night and day difference that they're going to notice that and see that and rule on in our favor. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where we're at now, where we're we are waiting for the judges or the hearing officers' decision, which through this due process has been a constant reminder that it's special ed, but it's also truly a legal um, situation where right. there are things that I want to bring up. And my attorney's like, well, you can't cause that wasn't included. And I'm Got like, it. so you, you know, you have to, there's with a due process, I would recommend getting an attorney, but, mediation, I think could be a really nice, simple, you know, conversation of between districts and parents of, you know, trying to meet in the middle because it mediation is definitely a compromise on both sides. You can't go in expecting one thing and hoping you get all of it. You kind of have to reach for the stars and, and know you're going to fall a lot lower and, but be happy with that. So always ask for more, but um, it's been interesting. I just found out this week, it had been two weeks since the end of our hearing, and I, my attorney called and said, just want you to know, I'm consistently checking in. But on really complex cases, he said, I've had a judge or hearing officer take an entire year to decide. So
0: in that situation, what is going on with your son and his education at this time?
1: And that's kind of where it's frustrating for me. And I can always say, I'll let you know what ends <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, but right now he's still in the situation that we had agreed upon through our mediation that I like to say it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I still have safety concerns. Um, my son is eloping from school still. Um, he's running through the parking lot. Like it's continually escalating. So okay. and I think with that it gives a little fuel to the fire for our attorney to say, hey, well, there's some safety concerns. Sure, but summer. I I don't know. Right. So he's you know he's attending ESY currently. Um, his IEP still is the same as it was previously, um, and that's kind of where he's at right now. But I think with the amount of time that it takes as long as we, you know, I'm 98% sure we're going to win, but there's always that two oh, percent, sure. you know, you can't, yeah. can't be sure because it's not you deciding right? Um, that I, you know, I worry about. But I think if it's another, if it's a year, which my attorney's like, it should not, not be a year for this type of situation. Um, I would just tack that on as time for compensatory services. Got it. And I think a lot of people may not know what compensatory services are. I, don't I was know. just going to ask you to
0: explain that. So
1: <laughs> with uh, with mediation, you're typically going in and saying, my son's not getting what he needs, or my child is not getting whatever they need, or this is a safety issue. So a compensatory service is like, how are we going to make up for lost time or lost services? And that can look like a lot of different things. And I think that's where that, um, the mediation comes in of going back and forth of kind of bartering of, okay, what if we give this, that's not enough. And I will tell you districts in every mediation I've ever had or have heard about, they come with the lowest offer that it is just embarrassing because they don't want to have to do anything extra So, and so that's what they always come with. So that's why I always ask real high.
0: (laughs) And I just wonder um, with schools, I really, because I am a former teacher and I, so I've worked in several districts throughout my, my career. And um, I, I, I think from the school's perspective, they think if they give in to one family.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Then
0: every other family that's got a similar situation is going to expect the same thing or, you know, think that they can file due process or go through mediation and win. And, you know, that the, and, and so I think in a sense, the school, you know, in a wide setting is thinking we have to protect ourselves. Yes. And not that that excuses them, but I always try to like, see if I can figure out, you know, like, what is the other side thinking, you know, no matter what kind of discussion or what sort of, you know, because as, as our mentor, Catherine has said, you know, behaviors are communication. So what is, what is their behavior communicating? You know, what is
1: knowing, having a behavior kid myself and watching people in administration that don't really work with these kids is Uh fascinating to me that they are the ones making these decisions. And I do believe you know, with my first mediation, I did sign a non-disclosure agreement, but when my attorney looked at it, he's like, all this is is saying is that you can't discuss how you got to this place.
0: Oh, got it. Okay.
1: Because he's like, because it's obvious. Everyone can see what, what he's getting. You can't, right. you know, if they pick him up on a bus on a Wednesday when there's no ESY, what are you? What are you going to say? Oh, I don't know. They're just. (laughs) I don't know. School just came to pick him up today. (laughs) So, and if they were to ask the bus driver though, or the bus driver tells one of his bus driver friends, Oh yeah. Awesome. I get this kid. I get to work more hours during the summer because some kid gets you know like, right. It's going to get out. And I do think districts try to keep those cards close to them, Mm -hmm. but I think that it is a really empty, I want to call it a threat, but I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. That it's, they don't want other people to know. Right. And that's kind of where I'm like, other people should know. Because it's not, if your child is having this problem, your child is not the only child with this problem.
0: And unfortunately, that's probably true.
1: Um, yeah. Even with outside of the realm of special education, if you have... I don't know, there could be so many other legal issues in a school setting. But if there's an unfortunate teacher to student inappropriate relationship, I can almost guarantee you that that is not the only student that it has occurred with or was attempted with. If there is cheating going on in a classroom so that kids can continue to play sports, it is not just one student. So really, it is Typically, it is either a teacher, a school, or a district-wide program. And my thought with everything is, is the system is a broken system. One person can't change it. Right. But we can change as many students' IEPs and their systems as much as possible. Hopefully, over time, it can slowly improve or at least improve in each area of where you're a master IEP coach, or you know, in small clusters, and I like to think that if you know, and that's where that awareness is. I always say, if you want to get something done, get a group of angry moms, and it'll. <laughs> it's true, women. Yeah, I, I know with my husband. If if he if I have something hung on the wall and it takes too long, oh, I'm going to hang that on the wall, <laughs> and you're believe that I will not be upset if there's multiple holes in the wall that are going to now be repaired by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's
0: two things that I want to kind of, I want to comment about. So I want to, um, so I'm, I'm, this one's behavior. Okay. So okay, perfect. some of the things about your behavior. So the thing I want to say before that though, is you talked about how that mediation that you were a part of and how, you know, and other ones that you've heard about, the school comes in with this very low, almost embarrassing mm-hmm. offer. And you know, the law is the minimum yes. that the school has to do. Yes. And I I interviewed someone a while back on the show, and she said, and I don't remember if it was during our conversation that was recorded or if it was in another conversation, but she said, you know, I've heard the saying so often, well, it's the least I could do. She said, why do we say that? Why is that where we're thinking, Okay, I'm okay because that's the least I could do. Why don't we think about what's the most I could do? Yes, you know. And and I and that has really changed how I look at situations and, you know, how I try to talk with school districts and families when I'm working with them and say, you know, okay, we do have this law and this this is the minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot more that we could do that would, you know, fall mm-hmm. under The okay part of doing this for this individual child that would be appropriate for this particular child. So I just wanted to, you know, to, to point that out that you had that coming in with that bare minimum or even below bare minimum, sometimes it seems like, but you talked about your son's behaviors. And so often when people, at least I know in my experiences, it's been this way, but Uh, maybe this isn't the case for everybody. When you talk about behaviors, people seem to automatically think about very overt behaviors, you know, very disruptive behaviors, Mm -hmm. the kind that get a person in trouble. But the behaviors that you referred to, and I think that oftentimes get overlooked, are those quiet, withdrawn, as you said, your son knew what he needed to do Mm -hmm. to Maintain and not be having a lot of expectations on him, either behaviorally or academically. He was learning all of that time. But as far as the output of it, he was like, Well, they don't really expect much from me as long as I'm over here and I'm quiet. They pretty much leave me alone. Yes. And I think that's, you know, that needs to be changed as well. And we need to become very aware of those quiet, withdrawn behaviors if if we are not paying attention to kids because they're not grabbing our attention we need to we still need to give them attention in other ways and make sure that we are trying to reach them and we are you know finding ways that they want to or are able to communicate what they know with us um as a former special education teacher i had several students that were um paraverbal or nonverbal or you know they they were unable to write and so we had to find multiple different strategies for them to be able to show us what they knew in a way that both of us could understand and uh, you know I still I still had one student that I feel like I never I was just so close to we had we had finally found a communication device where he could operate it with his elbow. He had a switch and then he would mm-hmm. have to scan. And um I, we were just getting there where he was getting real good control and, and then he left our district to go to um a higher grade level that we didn't offer in our building. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, we're so close. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's so hard. It's so sad. Yeah, sure I can imagine all that hard work and you don't get to see how it pays out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, I think the, you know, that's just key that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to all of our students, whether they're demanding it or not.
1: Yes. And I like to, uh, I've learned through all of this, you know, are those behaviors, are while those are happening, are they getting in the way of FAPE? Can they access yeah. their education? And yeah. Nine times out of 10, it's no. So I think as long as you are keep that in the back of your mind, are they able to access their education, whatever that looks like, while this is occurring? If it's a no, something has to change. Yeah, such a good point.
0: I want to talk about your other son. Yes. Because he also has an IEP. We only have about ten minutes left, so I, I yes. you know, want to try to cover because um, oftentimes somebody with ADHD or ADD is not provided an IEP, but given a 504. And yes. for anybody who doesn't know the difference, a very simple generic way to describe it is a 504 provides accommodations and modifications. An IEP provides that and specially designed instruction.
1: Yes, or so, even therapies. Right. In my mind, that's how I like to come, you know, right. the ones in two of this, you know, IEPs, they get more, therapies and things that are specially designed specifically for them.
0: Right. So tell us about your, your other son who also has an IEP and how that process went.
1: So with him, he was the kid that zero behaviors, amazing kid in class, had friends, but you know, when it was time to work, he looked like he was working, he was quiet, he was well-behaved. But he never turned in assignments. He never completed assignments. He never, as soon as things got to the point where he had to have some sort of organization to complete something, it never happened. Okay. Um, You know, he did get distracted a lot. But um, when he finally did get an IEP, and I like to tell the story because I think a lot of parents can relate to this. And I thought, you know, we don't give our kids enough credit with how smart they are. His teacher, he didn't have, you know, there's really great teachers. And then there's teachers that I like to call the teachers that are about to retire that are just kind of pushing through the last couple of years that are tired. And he had one of those. And the teacher came to me and said, I don't know what's going on with Dax. He sits in class. He looks like he's working. But when I go over there and ask him to turn something in, he doesn't respond. Hmm. And I thought, that's weird. He doesn't doesn't even say like, sorry, I didn't finish or I don't know where it is. Or he just doesn't respond. Yeah. So I asked him about it. I'm like, why are you not responding to your teacher? You need to at least answer someone when they speak to you. That's rude. Like that's (laughs) so okay. Yeah. A lot about social because of his brother, like this is not okay. You clearly can see this. And he said, I, my The reason why I don't say anything is because no, I didn't finish it or I forgot to bring it from home. But if I tell her that she takes away what's called a hawk buck, which is like their school's money. He's like, but if I ignore her, she doesn't take it away. Okay. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I don't blame him because he's, you know, he's getting called out and he's learned. Well, if I don't say anything, she doesn't take it away. Is that okay? Okay. No, but do I understand where coming from? Yes. So he has the ability clearly to 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 the thought process of getting things done, and you know, right. but just those little holes along the way, those gaps. And so um, we we talked about a five hundred four, and I looked at a five hundred four, you know, online of what the differences are, and I thought, you know, these kids with ADD and ADHD. They really need a little extra mental health help. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember what the quote was, but I read it somewhere where it's basically with kids that have ADD or ADHD. By the time they hit age ten, they have received you know a certain number of negative comments yeah. compared to their general ad peers or typically. Yeah,
0: and it's an astronomical number. I don't know yes. either what the I number is, it but it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. And so I, you know, and my husband has ADD. We have learned along the way after my son was diagnosed. I'm like, oh, the apple does not fall. (laughs) And you know, my husband he is is great. He's successful, but he does still to this day kind of struggle with um, constructive criticism. He can accept it, but he truly beats himself up about it. Where I'm like, it's fine. Just take it, fix it, move on. Right but he really beats himself up. And I think it's because, you know, when you're younger and you're constantly told you're not good enough or try again, or what's wrong with you, why can't you do this? Yeah. Um, And with my son, I do notice that a little bit. And so at school, I'm like, he needs that extra therapy, just even some talk therapy of someone to help him like his goal right now. I can't tell you exactly what the words are, but I really, really like it where it's, you know, the, the therapist will come in and say, this is a problem. Let's look at, you know, problems you could be having. Is it a big problem or a little problem? And how are we going to react to it? And then how are we going to fix it? So that you can, you know, he can build on those. How do I react to this? How do I look at myself when this thing, this sort of right. rises? And I'm like, that's what he needs. Socially, he's pretty much fine. But I think, you know, when there are those, when they're put down a lot, I think over time, they slowly get a little behind socially. Not enough that you really notice, right. but when you're aware of it, you do. Yeah. And um, I I see that with those, with those kids that are in that ADD world. And so he does need that extra help with not only organization and extra time allotted on assignments or, you know, a different environment for testing, but they also need somebody... You know, the school needs to be a little more held accountable for helping him with his mental health and social needs.
0: Right. And that's where that specially designed instruction comes in. Like we talked about the differences there between the two documents. And yeah, so often, even in an IEP, when I see accommodations in there, it'll say things. And it's not just for students with ADD or ADHD, but many students have organizational deficits or you know the executive functioning kinds of skills and it'll just say things like oh you know they're going to have a a color-coded binder for their classes well that's great and that could be very helpful but who's going to teach them how to use this color-coded binder system and who's going to teach them and check in on them that it's, they're utilizing it and who's gonna reteach it when they're not, you know? And yeah. so just going over those kinds of, that's actually specially designed instruction. And a lot of times teachers don't get, don't understand that. And I'll be honest, I probably necessarily wouldn't have caught onto that myself
1: either until well, somebody study, would have explained it. That world is, it's an interesting area for sure. Yeah, I think everyone could use a little help with their executive functioning at times.
0: I think so too. And in two weeks, I think it's two weeks, it's the last um, hashtag no limits of this month. I'm actually having a gentleman on and that is his specialty is executive functioning. His name is Seth Perler. So if you've never heard of him, um, check him out. He He himself had executive functioning deficits when he was growing up and he talks about all the things that he's done and, you know, ways that have helped him and he's passing along all those strategies. Um, And I've, I've been watching him for probably a year, year and a half now. And yeah, it's just amazing. The the, again, because somebody has gone through it and how they can explain differently than someone who hasn't gone through it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's amazing. Such, you know, such a small task or a small goal or a small change in their educational environment can make such a big difference.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, Kim, we just have a a couple more
0: minutes. So I want to make sure that, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to you to get more information or to follow you, how can they do that? Where would they find you?
1: Uh, Instagram and Facebook. uh, I do, I believe it's under Kim Deverall IEP Consulting. Okay. Perfect. So no website yet. Well, it's up there yet, but it is <laughs> yeah. So okay. you're really welcome to do. I think it's KimDeverall.com, but I don't believe there's any real helpful information yet. But um, <laughs> okay, all of the due process stuff, uh, all of that has kind of taken a back seat.
0: Well, sure. Those, yeah, there's been moving I, and yeah. getting, it yeah, I'm, there, yeah, you've had a lot of
1: with all of, of this. It'll it'll be it'll come back twofold. It will definitely help with in my experience with other parents. Yeah, most definitely.
0: Well, thank you again so much for sharing your story and your journey and your children's journeys. Is there any last parting words that you want to share? I don't want you to leave anything out there that you didn't get to
1: say. I don't think so. I, you know, my thing is just, you know, don't forget that you yourself as a parent, can consistently grow and change, and it, you know, you have to. And I think it's, it's a really, it's cheesy, but a beautiful thing to watch a parent evolve with their child because yeah. you can't, you know, you go in as a mom knowing nothing and you come out along the way consistently evolving and changing and being, you know, bettering yourself, and not only your child. So don't forget that. And don't forget or hesitate to speak out. No one's going to care. Yeah, Yeah. You can ruffle a few feathers along the way, but I guarantee you're not going to be the only one and you won't be the last. So do what you got to do. Yeah.
0: Become a butterfly with your child. That's that's so such a cool way to look at it. Well, again, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who is watching, whether live or in replay. And if you want to reach out to me, Shellykino.com or Kim Deverall, IEP consultant, you can find her on Instagram or Facebook. See you all next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.